You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou art. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, we come to your word and to your holy table with great humility, knowing that we need to be instructed. Open our hearts and minds to the instruction of your spirit through the powerful word that you bring us, most especially when we find you and Jesus acting contrary to our expectations. Help us to understand how your character and purpose are consistent and help us to understand what you are doing for the sake of our salvation and the salvation of all. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, it was an awkward dinner. You ever have one of those? Like, you know, you start the conversation, someone immediately throws cold water over everybody at the table, and you're like, okay. Um, It was one of those. I was having dinner with a friend, uh, and we had not seen each other since we got married. Now, when Lisa and I got married, uh, we were, uh, it was nowhere on the radar for me even to be in church, let alone be a pastor. And this was the first time I'd seen my friend in 20 years. Um... He had taken 20 years longer than me to get married. So he was newly married with his new wife and we were sitting down and there was lots to talk about. Lots had changed in, in life. And the first thing is, his wife says to me, is, says, well, you know, I'm not much of a church person. But, you know, I really can't understand why God would order the deaths of all those people in the Old Testament. And I thought, huh, you're not much of a church person, but we never, we never really talk about that much in church. So you're, you're not above skimming through websites of anti-Christian demagogues to find stuff to talk to me about. (laughs) It made it a little awkward to proceed with the conversation. Um, But it did send me on a rabbit trail. I said to her, I said, well, your answer deserves, your question deserves a good answer. Let me do a little research. And I was uh, able to get back to her a couple years later with with the answer. Um, But it it was excellent for me to learn the answer as well. Of course, what she's talking about is the book of Joshua, which we only read from very, very occasionally in church. And Joshua, the book of Joshua, is largely the people of Israel going into the promised land. They've just left slavery in Egypt. They're going into the promised land and they are dispossessing the people who are there from the land that they're currently on. And uh, it's important to understand why they're doing this, why they're instructed to do this, in fact. Israel was the only nation in the ancient world that was forbidden to participate in wars of conquest. Let me say that again. They're forbidden to go to war with their neighbors to acquire land, people, or riches, which is the only reason anybody ever goes to war. But they are instructed to dispossess the Canaanites from that land. You're not going to find out in the book of Joshua why they're instructed to do this. You've got to go back to the book of Genesis. 
In the book of Genesis, when Abraham is told that he will have descendants numbering more than the stars, he is told, that land over there I will give you by God. This is what God says to him. However, not yet. Because the people who are living there are not so wicked yet that they deserve to lose the land. Give them 400 years. And um, I'm not going to get into what formed the wickedness of the Israelites, uh, I'm sorry, the Canaanites. The wickedness of the Canaanites was really tremendously great. There was a lot of stuff. We don't, a lot of it's lost to history because the Jews didn't even want to talk about it because it was so despicable. Um, but you can get into some of the details if you want to go on our YouTube channel and stream my Genesis class. Those of you who are in my Genesis class understand why I'm not getting into details on a Sunday morning. Um, here's, here's, here's the one I can mention on a Sunday morning. They would take their firstborn child, execute it, mix its blood into the mortar for their house so their house could be blessed. That's one of the less despicable practices that I can mention on a Sunday morning. So these people richly deserve to lose the land. And God says, utterly destroy them. That doesn't mean kill everybody. It means so scatter that culture that the demons masquerading as gods that are encouraging these people to behave in these ways lose all their power and the people can't come back to that kind of worship and that style of life. The Israelites don't do that, incidentally, which causes many of their problems going forward. But that history with the Canaanites and the tribes that make up the Canaanites, because that's, that's an umbrella term, that keeps playing itself out throughout the Old Testament in constant warfare. When you get to, to Gideon and he's fighting against the Midianites, that's some of the Canaanites. And this keeps going on back and forth throughout history. This informs our gospel reading today. Jesus is way far north. It's the farthest north he will go on any of his missions. Any of his journeys. He starts, of course, in the, what we call the southern kingdom. He moves up into Samaritan territory. This is going to be even farther north than that. He's going to go up into pagan territory here for the first time. And this woman is living up there. And they've heard these rumors about this miracle-working preacher from down south. And part of what he seems to be able to do is drive out demons those demons, incidentally, are the very Canaanite gods that Joshua came to drive out. So Jesus is just continuing Joshua's mission, and Jesus and Joshua are the same word in Hebrew. <laughs> same name. Jesus is driving those demons out again. They've heard about this. And beyond all hope, beyond all expectation, this preacher from the south has come all this way north. He's even in my town. And she runs out and starts calling upon him. And she's calling him names that no one so far has been calling him. See, as you head into this part of the Gospel of Matthew, here's what just happened. In chapter 14, the, the disciples are behaving badly. At the beginning of chapter 15... The Pharisees are trying to prove that Jesus doesn't love God and doesn't know the law of Moses and all this kind of stuff. So they're behaving badly. Jesus gets out and here's this woman who's not just a pagan but is from this group of pagans with whom the Israelites have been at war for 1,700 years. And she's so desperate. She starts calling him by titles that no one in Israel is calling him. Son of David meaning inheritor of the promise given to King David. 
and the rightful ruler of Israel. Lord, at very least king, and maybe even the Lord of heaven and earth. She's calling him by these titles she's so desperate. And when he ignores her, she throws herself at his feet and begs. Begs for this boon from a sworn enemy for the sake of her daughter. Now, moms, at this point, you're starting to understand where she's at. Because is there anything you wouldn't do for your kids? If this was your daughter, husbands, fathers, the same, we will do things for our children we would never do for ourselves. Overcoming all the social barriers that must exist between Jews and these Canaanites. Think of the horrible names Americans called the Japanese or Germans at the end of World War II. Stuff you don't say in polite society today. They would have had the same kind of names for the Canaanites. Maybe even they called them dogs because dogs were unclean animals. Israelites didn't keep dogs as pets. They weren't clean according to the law of Moses. But the Canaanites probably did. And so when Jesus called her a dog, she would have immediately picked up on the fact that he didn't use the word for dogs of the street. Like I told the kids before, the dogs on the street were not nice dogs. You did not pet a strange dog in in Jesus' world because they'd likely bite your hand and maybe try to kill you. They ran in packs. It wasn't fun. But by calling her the kind of dog that means a house pet, she seized onto that hope. He didn't call me the insulting name. He called me by a pet name. And she throws herself at Jesus' feet and begs this boon. What kind of faith is that, that that is so great that Jesus calls it great? Well, it's, it's the kind of faith that each and every one of us as a Christian needs to have. See, whether you came to faith as an adult and it's painfully obvious to you you were not always on God's side or whether you were raised in the church and your faith just kind of grown organically from the seed that was planted when perhaps before you even remember Christian maturity helps us realize spiritual maturity helps us realize that time and again in our lives we have set ourselves in opposition to God We have sinned not out of ignorance, but knowing full well we were sinning. That we were choosing the way of the world over and against the way of God. And so we are making ourselves enemies of God in that moment. And the the faith that will approach someone to whom I've made myself an enemy, someone whom I have wronged again and again, and say, please, give me a favor. Have mercy on me. That's the faith that every Christian has. It's why we start our services by saying, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. It's why it's part of every funeral rite. Because we never want to think we have a right to God's love. God gives us His love out of His goodness, not out of our goodness. And that love, that love given when we don't deserve it, can change and transform us utterly when we remember 
that we're not entitled to it. See, the prophet Isaiah in our first reading predicts the inclusion of the Gentiles in the worship of God. That's 700 years before Jesus, folks. And St. Paul talks about how his Jewish brethren are temporarily on hold so that God can bring in all the Gentiles. That's all of us unless you happen to have a Jewish mom. So if you're grateful to be part of Jesus' family, thank God that God is willing to do that. Put a delay on what's going on. See, we want Jesus to save the day, but Jesus came to save the world. He's willing to have a little delay on our part, like telling a woman she can't have what she wants for a moment, that her faith can become evident, that that story might be written down and for the next 2,000 years and more help us understand the true nature of faith. This is why Martin Luther, in the very first of his 95 theses, says... The whole of the Christian life is to be one of repentance. Meaning, turning away from our sin and turning back towards God. That's not reserved for some box with a guy wearing a collar who has special powers. (laughs) To forgive you. The whole of our life is to be one of repentance. I was talking with the Arfanella family before, um, before the 8 o'clock service. They just dropped their daughter off at college on Friday. We're dropping Ian off on Thursday morning. So we were commiserating. Uh, <laughs> and um, it put me in mind uh, as I was preparing this sermon that of my own college days a little bit. And I'm going to tell you a college story you are not to imitate. <laughs> um, I generally had pretty good grades. I had a decent academic scholarship and things were rolling along. I was not the brain trust my wife is. That's why she has the PhD. But I did pretty well. But I had a bad semester. There was, my personal life was a mess. I had enrolled in too many classes. Instead of having the brains to go to the registrar's office during the drop ad period and drop one, I thought, I can, I can muscle through. I'd never gotten an F before on a blue book test. They give you this blank book and they give you like three essay questions and 20 pages later and four hours later you turn it in and that's your grade. I'd never gotten an F before but I was not surprised when I got that blue book back and there was a big F in front of it because I really didn't study for that test. And it was a history test and they were really smart. They made you quote names and dates and stuff. Not just an essay where you can get by on looking good. And... uh, My, my scholarship was hinged upon me keeping a 3.3 grade point average, which an F will generally not let you do. So I went to the professor's office hours and threw myself on the mercy of the court. Um, I not only begged, I just went and did the traditional grovel. I, I just said, I was like, I didn't study. Things are kind of a mess. I completely earned this F. I, I, have to, I have to admit that. I just wonder if there's any possible way I can do some extra work and maybe make up for this. And they very kindly said no. <laughs> but they said there are two more tests and if you get an A on both of them, your grade will be a C. So I thought, well, if I can get an A in all my other classes and I average it with that C, I might keep my 3.3. Um, 
But I was willing to grovel. I was willing to abase myself. I was willing to own my own stupidity and my own lack of preparation, my own lack of care about that class, just for the sake of keeping a scholarship. Shouldn't we be willing to own our own opposition to God, whether it be often or rare, profound or small, so that we can understand and receive the gift that He's giving to us, a gift that can only be received when we are as humble as He is. He was humble to descend and offer the gift. We are humble when we acknowledge that we don't deserve it. But that He has graciously given us a gift beyond compare. Salvation and eternal life. This is not a lack of self-esteem, folks. This is a recognition of reality that lets us grasp the reality of who God is in Jesus Christ. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, who you are is beyond our ability to understand. That you should descend from the glories of heaven to play with us, the dust of the earth. Not just to play, but to come and do battle on our behalf and destroy the powers of sin, death, and the devil by your own sacrifice on the cross. Help us to grasp the gift you are giving to us It is not because we have in any way earned it, but because you are so full of love and desire that we should be restored to your family. Lord, we'd be happy with just the scraps from your table, but you have given us more. You've invited us up to the table to become your sons and daughters and receive the fullness of the inheritance that rightfully belongs to you. Bless us as we receive it in the form of the promises of your word, and the gifts, your own gifts of wine and blood and body at the table, that we might more firmly be your people and this day turn from you less, turn to you more, and be a blessing to those around us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that Thou art. Be Thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, Thy presence my light.